Hi, this is Susan Diol, and I play Dr. Denara Pell on Star Trek Voyager. And you are listening to Trek Untold. Hello and welcome to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. Today's guest is a character actress whose performances have always been quite memorable. She's been part of the Star Trek franchise twice, and equally left a pretty big impact on one of the characters in the show she was on. Today, we're speaking with Susan Deal, who first appeared in the fifth season episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, titled Silicon Avatar, as a character who doesn't stick around too long, unfortunately, but Susan did return to the franchise a few years later in Star Trek Voyager as Dr. Dinara Pell in two episodes from the second season, Life Signs and Resolutions. Of a DN scientist, the EMH saved her life by putting her body into stasis and transferring her brain patterns into a hologram and thus the two began a romantic relationship with each other in one of the best episodes from that season. In fact, Dinara gives the Doctor his very first name. Susan was also one of the actresses originally considered for the part of Captain Janeway, and most interestingly enough, she also went on a date with Brent Spiner. And don't you worry, we're gonna dish about that. You may also recognize Susan from her appearances on Seinfeld, Desperate Housewives, Walker, Texas Ranger, Diagnosis Murder, CSI, Wings, Murphy Brown, and Days of Our Lives, to name just a few of the television shows she's been in. And if you were a fan of Quantum Leap, well, she was there as well, and she was part of the alternate ending for the series finale, which we're going to talk a little bit about today, too. Susan has a fascinating background and a great career along with it, so I hope you enjoyed today's show and getting to know a little bit more about Susan Deal. But before we jump into today's interview, I want to ask you if you're following us yet on social media. If you're not, you can check out Trek Untold on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we update there constantly. It's the best way to find out who this week's guest is going to be in advance, and also potentially ask them any questions when we offer that option. So that's Trek Untold, one word, no spaces, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you'd like to help support the show, you can check out teespring.com slash stores slash Trek Untold to take a look at some of the merchandise we have there, which includes t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, and all sorts of other things. We'll be releasing new designs constantly, so make sure to keep an eye there if you'd like to support this show and show off to your friends how much you like it. You can also directly support this show by visiting patreon.com slash trekuntold to become a Patreon. But most important of all, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast, and if you're listening to it on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or any other audio forms, make sure to leave a review and a rating and drop some stars if you can. And if you're watching the YouTube version, please don't forget to subscribe to Nerd News Today, the channel that you're watching this on, and give the video a thumbs up. And of course, while you're at it, feel free to comment there and let me know what you think of this week's guest. Subscribing, leaving ratings, leaving comments are all some of the most important things you can do to help this podcast continue to grow and ensure that more people find out about this show. And if you're already following us or supporting us on Patreon or have bought some merch, a big, big thank you for doing that or offering your support in whatever way that you can. Thank you for the help. There's a lot of Star Trek podcasts out there, and I'm very grateful that you've chosen to listen to this one today. I'd also like to make a quick shout out to our sponsor at Triple Fiction Productions, who makes some amazing 3D printed Star Trek inspired dioramas and props for both Star Trek action figures and Star Trek fans in person. Whether you're a cosplayer or a toy collector, there's plenty of stuff to check out from Triple Fiction Productions, but you're going to hear a little bit more about them later on. Now, without further ado, let's beam up today's guest. Computer, access interview file. 
And welcome back to Trek Untold. And now joining us on the other side of the line, we've got Susan Diol with us today. Susan, how's it going today? Oh, it's going great. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm here in hot and smoky California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at the time we're recording this interview right now, there is a lot of serious fire action happening in California. I think that's an understatement. Uh, are you in an area that's relatively safe? I, I am. I, I am. I'm uh just a, a mountainside away from the Griffith Observatory, but we don't really have that much um, smoke here. And, you know, we're all just hoping that the fires get put out soon because it's just so, it's always so, such a sad and terrible thing when we lose so many acres and people lose homes and lives. And, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's one of the parts of being in California and, and Oregon and other places as well, but you just never, you always hope it's not going to happen. Huh. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a New Yorker, so I've never had to deal with that kind of stuff before, but I imagine that's got to be just like one of the scariest things to see happen. Uh, it is, yeah. It's happened before near where I live, and, um, you know, there was like a wall of fire, and I had to find another escape route, and, yeah, it was pretty pretty scary. Um, so we're just hoping that it, they get taken care of quickly so people don't lose their lives and their property and then all, all the trees and everything. It's really sad, so just hoping... Well, by the time this airs, I'm hoping things will be under control as well. Uh, so, yeah, Susan, yeah. let's go ahead and jump on in into our discussion today. Let's kick things off with the first question I like to ask all of our guests. And that is, Susan, what's your earliest memory of Star Trek? Oh, my goodness. Um, I remember watching it on TV and um, just feeling super excited because um, there really hadn't been anything like that on television before. And I also loved. Um, my dad um, was born and raised in India, so I loved seeing all the different kinds of people, um, you know, in a show where they weren't all just one ethnicity. And in fact, you know, some of them were very otherworldly. And, um, you know, I, I, it was just fascinating to me. And I loved seeing, you know, uh, women on the show. Um, I used to be the kind of kid who I'd be watching a movie. And I'd say, okay, well, when is there going to be a girl in the show? And I, <laughs> I get really frustrated. So, um, and it was, yeah, it was just, it was really eye opening. And it just, to me, it looks like how the world is. The world is made up of lots of different people. So I, I really loved it. And, uh, you know, Spock was so cool and, you know, he just had such a wonderful way about him and, you know, just the science and then all of the, the, the cool ships and the costumes. It was just really, to me, it was just like, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. And <laughs> so, yeah, I loved it. Now, can you tell us a bit about your background, where you grew up, who your parents were, and what you wanted to be when you grew up? Well, I was born in Upper Michigan um, in Marquette. And um, then we ended up moving um, to Palatine, Illinois, outside of Chicago. Um, actually before that we moved to Wisconsin and, um, then we eventually moved to Ohio. So I grew up from the age of 10 in, uh, Worthington, Ohio, outside of Columbus, which was a really lovely place to grow up. Um, and, uh, I did theater in high school and I also was on the varsity tennis team, my freshman and sophomore year of high school, but you couldn't be in the play and be in the tennis team because they both were happening at the same time. So my uh, junior and senior year, I opted off out of tennis and I was in the, the plays, the theater. And so that was really, you know, that was really something I, I'd always enjoyed doing from the time I was a kid. I would write 
little plays and perform them with my sister and and then eventually my little sister and we would put them on and so I'd always <laughs> been a storyteller um writing and singing and doing impersonations like um I'd make up little stories so uh so to get to be in the theater was great and then I ended up going to uh, Audubon College where I majored in theater and I got to perform in quite quite a few plays there and then eventually went on an internship to New York City where I uh, got to work with Pat McCorkle casting and learn the business of the business. And that really just um, was one of the best opportunities for me because as soon as I graduated from college, I moved to New York and Pat, you know, she said, hey, anytime you want to come and be a reader for us. So I got to watch all the actors audition um, and, you know, it was fantastic. And uh, and so before that, you know, so my mother was from um, Michigan. My dad, of course, was born and raised in India. He was half Indian and half American. And um, his mother and my mother were best friends. They were both writers. Um, and uh, I have a younger sister and an older sister who are both teachers. And then I have a brother, Michael, who um, he's done all kinds of, he's done sales, he's done worked for cars, he's had his own businesses. So he's, um, he's a businessman. Um, and um, my father had a coffee company when we moved to Ohio. And so we grew up um, working in the coffee company and I got to try out all my different accents and voices when I would call <laughs> the different offices on the phone. And when I moved to New York, then I worked at Macy's as a perfume spritzer. And then I also would try out my accents. And it was, you know, I was, I was always just, you know, I just love people and, um, you know, just having fun, I guess. You know, my brother and I would sometimes, I remember we were in Bloomingdale's and we would pretend we were talking in some fake language and we would just, you know, so I guess I was always creative and imaginative and um, storytelling. And then, you know, I, I was cast in a, a, to play the lead in Twelfth Night Viola at the Alaska Repertory Theater, which was through McCorkle Casting. I had been the reader and I'd got, I had actually done the play in college and I'd done another role. I did, a, I played Olivia, but I was watching the auditions and I was getting really frustrated. <laughs> so at one point I said to the director, you know, could I audition? Which was really kind of having a lot of chutzpah, but I, I just, I just felt like they were, they were, they weren't doing it the way I thought it could be. And so he let me audition and then he cast me and I didn't even have my um, equity card. And that's how I got into equity. And because he said, I, he said, oh, my gosh, that's fantastic. So that was that was quite a thrill to go to Alaska. And that was my first role. And then I ended up um, I would go to a lot of open calls and I went to one with uh, Barry Moss. And it was for the musical version of Carrie. <laughs> and. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, and I well, I, I auditioned for it. I sang Man Manic Monday, and Barry Moss said, "You know, that's ah, not quite what they're wanting for this particular part." She said, "But boy, I'm going to remember you. Give me your resume." And and sure enough, he did. And um, they were casting a play at Circle in the Square. Um, you never can tell. With Uta Hagen um, was going to be starring in it, and they called me for the audition. And I met the director, and he's like, "Oh, he, he was." Stephen Porter is his name. He's British. He's like, oh, my God, I want you to play this part. But we've already made an offer to someone. He said, but we'll, we'll remember you. And I, and I thought, oh, yeah, OK, OK. And sure enough, then the, 
young, the wonderful woman who was playing the part I had auditioned for, Amanda Plummer, the play got extended and she had to go do Pygmalion. And so they called me in to audition and they said, we, you know what, the director wants you um, to play the part. We did, you just have to audition for all the actors in the play. And I said, what? And it was, you know, theater in the round. So I had to audition in front of Uda Hagen. I don't know if uh, Phil Bosco was still in the play at that point. I think John Cullum um, had taken over his role and J.D. Cullum and Victor Garber. And I mean, it was just like, who's who? <laughs> yeah, that, that's some serious royalty and, right there. I've actually spoken to John Cullum uh, for a different thing entirely. And uh, yeah. like, what a presence that man has. And we've, you know, we've talked a lot on the show, in fact, about Uta Hagen. And uh, we've talked to folks who have learned from her, who've taken classes with, under her, but we never spoke to anybody who's actually performed with her. So I, I got to hear what it's like to be on stage with Uta, with Victor Garber, with John Cullum, because that is legitimate royalty right there. I mean, it was, uh, it was like an amazing experience. And so what had happened was um, they had had the understudy go in um, and I, I think I got cast like on a Wednesday and, and they said, well, you're going to, um, you're going to be working with the stage manager. And so basically I was working with this lovely man named Michael Ritchie, who now runs the theater out here, the, uh, the LA, I think center theater group. He, he's in charge of everything. I haven't seen him since I he was my stage manager, but He's married to Kate Burton, and he's just a fantastic, wonderful person, very down to earth. But, you know, he's a stage manager, so he's like, okay, well, then you're going to move over there, and then you're going to do the, And he's playing Uta Hagen's part and Victor Garber's part, but he's one man, and I'm one person. And so, you know, it was kind of a rushed experience. And so after a few rehearsals, I think I was supposed to go on on a Tuesday. And they ended up calling me on that Saturday. So I'd had maybe two days of rehearsal to learn this British play. And they called and they said, listen, we want you to go on for the matinee. And they called me in the morning. And so I, my roommate, Justin, we were um, on the subway and then he was going over my lines with me. And I'd never had a rehearsal with any of the actual actors. So I get to the theater and I, my character opens the play with the dentist, which is played by Victor Garber. So I'm backstage with Victor Garber and I'm, you know, trying to keep my cool, but inside I'm like, I'm in a Broadway play. Oh my God, I'm in a Broadway play with Victor Garber. I was just like, you know, on the inside, it was just like screaming. So we started the play and the audience loved it and it was going really well. And then all of a sudden there was a scene with all the other actors on stage and I had no idea where I was supposed to be. And so Uta Hagen, very gently would say well my dear and she would kind of move me to where I was supposed to be and um it was just uh it was a, quite an experience and um I just loved every minute of it and J.D. Cullen was just a delight he played my brother and then of course he was in the play with his father John Cullen um and Uta Hagen and I just hit it off we she just loved me and you know i you know, I studied at Otterbein and we, we worked with her book, Respect for Acting. And she, you know, she was just like the, the be all and end all of all acting teachers. But the funny thing was, I just, you know, we just clicked. And um, I often would go and sit with her. If we had a matinee, I'd sit with her in her um, dressing room and we would talk and she would say, don't do television, whatever you do. And, you know, she would just tell me all her philosophies about everything and I just adored her and um she adored me and the funny thing was once the play ended I just I was so shy in real life I thought oh well I'm not gonna bother her you know I you know I just didn't even think about 
contacting her or anything. I was often that way as an actor. The the play would be over and um, I would just never contact the people. Um, so it was interesting. Um, but I just I just loved working with her and, and all of them. It was it was a wonderful experience. And um, it was wonderful to sit and have her ear. And sometimes we would hear the people in the audience when they'd be asking questions for the talk back after the matinee. And they'd say, well, we couldn't really, we didn't understand what Uta Hagen was saying. And she'd say, well, if they can't understand me, they're not listening. And she was so feisty. And um, she just, uh, I, yeah, it was really a magical time to get to work with her and, and all the actors. Yeah, and I had a big, big, mad crush on Victor Garber. I was just like, <gasps> every time I was on stage, <laughs> I, just, I was so smitten with him. And he was such a kind, loving person and so supportive. And they were all fantastic. So it was really a great experience. Being around such legends in the industry, did you get any advice or any acting tips from them about anything? You know, you mentioned Uda was like telling you to stay out of TV, which that's very much an Uda Hagen thing to say. But uh, did they give you any advice or, or information for helping your career? No, I mean, the thing was that she just treated me like an equal. She never once, she didn't, it was like she never gave me any notes on anything. She just kept saying, kid, you're doing great. You know, she just really, um, we just really enjoyed working with each other. And so uh, it was It was just, it was a delight. Well, sorry, Uda, because we got to jump in now to some television talk. So, Susan, do you remember what your first television role was? Um. Yes, I played a friend of Lisa Bonet's on the Cosby show. So do you remember how you got that part? Through an audition, just um, going and auditioning the regular way. And we were, there were several of us that were her friends. And we, I ended up doing a, a couple episodes. In fact, I remember, I remember one time um, she was dating Lenny Kravitz and they were backstage and they were kissing. And I was just like, wow, he's really, wow, he's really something. I thought he was really, just you know, he just had this very wonderful energy as did she I mean she just uh she was just she had this very deep kind of a soulful way about her um like you know she just seemed very like she was very thoughtful and 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 he had the same quality but he was just kind of like he was just well he's like a rock star but he wasn't a, I don't think he was, was a rock star then I don't know but um yeah and you know and um Bill Cosby actually was very kind to me in fact one time he uh he found out my dad was from India, so he had an entire Indian lunch catered for the whole cast and crew. Um, so, yeah, but it was that was a it was a fun experience to be on that show. You worked on a lot of different sitcoms, and aside from the Cosby Show, but uh, the one I think I want to talk to you about is one that I liked a lot as a kid, and I still like today. I think it's of course way better as an adult when you can actually understand the jokes, because eight year old me didn't understand Night Court one bit. Um, but you were in a two parter yeah. from Night Court called The Family Affair, which is in season eight. And you played John Larroquette's sister, who goes on a date with Richard Mull. Hijinks ensue, yada, yada, yada. You nearly get engaged a bull. Uh, what do you remember about being on Night Court? Uh, I just remember that John Larroquette, what a mind. I mean, he's just, he is so much fun to act with because he just connects with you and he looks you straight in the eye and you just feel this. It's like you're all of a sudden, you're on this different playing field of acting. Um, and, it, you know, it was really fun to like kind of in a way my character I was supposed to be the female version of him so I kind of just match his energy um and it was like thinking on your feet you just were you know uh, in a way you felt like you're doing improv although of course we're we're doing all the lines accurately but 
um, it was really a, a really a, a, a great challenge and inspiration to work with him. And Bull, of course, was Bull. He was very interesting person, not a man of few words. <laughs> um, but it was a really enjoyable role to play, to have that kind of, uh, you know, be this, this um, money-loving uh, woman trying to climb, climb her way to the top. Uh, it, was, it was a really enjoyable role to play, and, and, and everybody on that set was also just delightful. And so you're also in another one of my favorites, which is Walker, Texas Ranger. And you were there in season three for the episode Warzone. And uh, I actually was able to find the episode online. I got to watch it. Uh, you were Dana Reno and you got to have a fight scene, in fact, which is really cool. Uh, and of course, in the end, Chuck Norris has to save you. But uh, what do you remember about being on Walker? Was it a good experience? It was a great experience. And he was just just such a, a kind and nurturing. I mean, he has a very teacher-like quality about him. Um, he's just really a, you know, a, a, a great um, lead of a show, which I found actually with most of the shows I worked on, the, the, the lead characters were almost always very kind and supportive and they'd run lines and, um, and he was, he was just like that. And, uh, you know, and it seemed, and the crew just loved him and he was just very respectful to everyone. And um, I, of course, was not really a great <laughs> kickboxer or anything. Um, so I felt like I, you know, I felt like I must look like a, you know, raggedy Ann doll or something, just flailing my arms about. But um, um, it was a great show. It was a great experience. I remember because I was married to Sean Cassie at the time. And I remember getting the job and he's like, wait, you're going to Texas? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do Texas Rocker Ranger. And he's like, what? Are you it's are you doing kickboxing? I'm like, yep. And he's like, Oh my goodness. He's like, You're gonna go all the way over there. And I said, Yeah. And so I just kind of went and it was it was really a great experience. Do you remember much about that fight scene that you were in? Because you basically have two scenes where there's one where you're in the gym where you're hitting the mitts and there's another in a bar where eventually Walker makes the save. Uh do you remember doing much of the choreography for that? I do, and I just remember just like feeling very worried about the whole time. Well also because, you know, it's I mean, it's Chuck Norris. He fought with Bruce Lee. And, you know, I, I felt like I really was out of my element. Um, I mean, to truth be told, I've been I've been afraid to ever watch that episode. Oh, I'll have to send you the link. It's time to get over that fear, Susan. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I Yeah, I think I should watch it. Um, but I just remember feeling nervous and feeling like I was going to make a mistake. But I don't know. I don't think I actually did. And I think that he was so supportive. Um that he just made it, he just made me feel really, you know, like I could do it and I'd be okay. Now, before we jump into some Star Trek discussion, there actually is a Star Trek connection you have a little bit early in your career. And that was when you did two episodes of Quantum Leap, which of course starred Scott Bakula, aka Captain Archer from Enterprise. Uh, and in Quantum Leap, yes. you played Al's wife, who was played by Dean Stockwell. And uh, one of those episodes, interestingly yeah. enough, was the series finale. Um, did you like your time working with Dean and being on Quantum Leap? Um, I mean, that was a magical experience. You know, you think about um, Dean Dean's history in terms of what he had done with, you know, starting with uh, all the different films. I mean, he it was just like being with Hollywood royalty. Scott Bakula was just an absolute doll. Um, you know, very supportive. Once again, the you know, the, the, the star of the show and just running a great ship in terms of how people are treated and how everyone was... Uh, you know, uh, respected and, and, um, and then Dean, 
I mean, he's such an incredible actor that, you know, I felt like I was in a movie when I was acting with him. And, you know, our, the scene that we did, uh, he was a ghost and we were dancing. Um, and it, I just remember my, it, I just, I felt all this love and, um, I, I mean, it was, it's, it was like a, a science fiction. I felt like it was like a science fiction, surreal experience. Um, cause we're dancing and then he, I opened my eyes and he disappeared and it. Um, it, and I felt genuinely sad at the, the loss of uh, the end of the show and the end of, um, and not, and, and not being able to work more with him. I kept thinking, well, maybe they'll, they'll have me come back and do something else. But um, yeah, he, it was just really, he was terrific. And so was Scott. They were, they were great. And the, and the creators of the show and, and the directors and, you know, and everybody, they just across the board um, were great. The, co- the I think, I can't remember who the costume director was, but the, you know, the hair and makeup, I had to wear wigs and um, it was really lovely. Now, last year also, there was a pretty big, amazing reveal that was found in the Quantum Leap community. And that was, uh, I guess it's an alternate ending or some deleted scenes that were meant to be used in the series finale that weren't used. And you're a part of that with Dean Stockwell. Uh, it, it's been a big story. Uh, are you able to fill us in a little bit uh, about those alternate scenes and what you can remember from that, if you remember anything from that, from that part? Well, I do remember being there and I do remember, um, you know, rehearsing something and then they were taking photos. And so I guess they were... Um trying to figure out whether or not they would make that ending. Um, And so I remember, I actually think, I feel like we rehearsed the scene, but I feel like we didn't shoot the scene. Um, Perhaps somebody made an executive decision during the day of rehearsal, but it was so great to be back with all those people and to be with Dean and, um, you know, uh, yeah. And I can't remember if we actually shot it off, not because somebody had asked me that um, because they had found the, the photo yep. of that day. Um, yeah. Well, they and actually so did find some footage, believe it or not. They actually found it. Uh, I could send it to you later if you want to see they it. found the footage? Someone actually oh, had found it, it and they put it online. Oh, I would love to see it. It's basically just one take, but it's pretty much what you're describing there. So you know, maybe it'll help jog your memory too. But yeah, they actually did shoot some of that stuff. I, I think you might have been in some old age makeup as well for that scene. Am I recalling that? Or am I... Yes, 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 that's true. I was. And we had we had daughters that we were... were all posing together so um they were showing that uh that at some point i guess we had it had worked out we were together <laughs> it might have been a time it might have been it might have been the reason why it wasn't put in was also because they had so much they were packing into that episode um and then i feel like they could just show what happened with one picture as opposed to having to have a scene i I'm, i can't remember though but i yeah i would love to see it now i wanted to ask you about one other role that you had before Star Trek. And, uh, you know, whenever, whenever I see you on TV, I'm always really elated because I, I love watching you perform. But this is the role I think I remember you best for outside of Star Trek. Uh, and that's on Seinfeld. You were in the season three episode, The Nose Job. And uh, folks can watch that on Hulu if they haven't seen it before. It's a very memorable episode uh, where you spend most of the time in a prosthetic nose. You get to interact with all of the main cast. What do you remember about Seinfeld? I just remember that it was... Um... It was such a great collaborative experience. They were so welcoming. They just, you know, they just treated me like I was one of them from the very beginning. You know, Kramer would say, hey, Susan, what do you think about this bit? And he'd do some wacky thing. And, and it was just, they just, 
just treated me like I had been on the cast and in the cast for quite a long time. The funny thing is I had auditioned for the part of it, Elaine. Ah. And, uh, of course, I didn't get it. And then once, once she, I mean, wow, she's such a talent. Julia Louise Joyce. I mean, what a talent. Um, and, uh, you know, she was so fantastic on that show. Um, but, you know, Larry David was there was the producer. Um, and he was how he is. I mean, he was just fantastic. And um, Jerry was terrific uh jason was terrific um they, they just they just treated me like i was one of them so they would they would, we would try bits out on each other we would you know uh everybody was just working together and um the funny thing was the you know the day when we i had to, we started shooting i had to put the prosthetic nose on early in the day and the funny thing was there were some people that didn't recognize me not not anybody in the cast but they also treated me a little differently <laughs> because all of a sudden I'm looking like, I'm looking like Jimmy Durante. I don't know if you know who yeah. Jimmy Durante is, but he's a fantastic singer. And, um, and so I, I, that was a very interesting to go, Oh, huh. I had a very deep conversation with this person three days ago and now they won't even really talk to me. Um, so it was, it was, it was funny. It, it was, it was a, an interesting thing to be in, in a, and I, of course in Star Trek, I ended up having a prosthetic. I also did a show called alien nation where I have a huge prosthetic bald head. Um, but it is always funny as an actor. Cause you don't, you, you kind of forget that you have the prosthetic on, but all of a sudden someone's treating you a little differently or they kind of have, find it difficult to look at you for some reason. And, and it's just like, huh, what, what happened? I don't understand. But yeah, it was, that was a, that was really that was a real joy to work on that show with those talented, talented people. Yeah, I got to say, like, when I was watching the episode, I noticed just like how naturally you fit in with all of them, especially in the first act where you're just all hanging out in Jerry's apartment. It really felt like you were just one of them. So that's really amazing that you all just melded together so well. Well, and that's the thing. They just treated me like I was one of them. And I imagine that's probably how they were with most people. Um, and one of my one of my dear friends, actually, the director who cast me in, in that play in Alaska, who was, you know, when I had asked if I could, Roy Brocksmith, he was in that episode as well. And that was such a treat to be with my, um, you know, my mentor, who's also an actor, but who'd cast me in my very first equity play, uh, because I had the chutzpah to ask if I could audition. Um, and he said yes. And so that was really uh, everything kind of coming full circle in that episode. Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is brought to you by Triple Fiction Productions. If you're a Star Trek cosplayer looking for props or toy collector looking to spice up your shelves, Triple Fiction Productions has you covered. Triple Fiction Productions produces affordable and unique 3D printed Trek inspired products from the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the movies. You can expect the same amount of care and attention to detail in any of the items in their catalog, whether it's a prop replica for use in a fan film, or part of a cosplay, or accessories and playsets for figures from Playmates, Migos, or Diamond Select. Own your very own tricorder or phaser rifle with working lights, the bridge of the Enterprise-E for your Playmates figures, or any other item from countless species and ships from the Star Trek universe. All products are 3D printed in the USA and are constantly evolving and improving based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, visit them at triple-fictionproductions.net or on Facebook at facebook.com slash triplefictionproductions. 
Triple Fiction Productions, taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before. Hi, my name is Walker Brandt, and I was privileged to play the role of Cadet Hajar in the episode, The First Duty, Star Trek The Next Generation. I was also a guest on Trek Untold a few months ago. And during my interview with Matt, I introduced my new book, Awaken, Discovering Yourself Through the Light of Your Innocence. The dedication in Awaken reads to the human spirit, the final frontier within. I'm a Trekkie, I'm a fan, and I have always believed that the final frontier is our unlimited imagination. And the reason I wrote my book is to support the reader, to always remember that when you combine your unlimited imagination with your innocence, you know, that playfulness as a child where you had no fear about the unknown. In fact, every single day you woke up into the unknown and you wanted to explore. That's been my journey. And that's how I believe that we change our reality for the better together because we're all creators and we're all explorers. So I ask you, what excites you? How will you expand and go where you've never been before? What steps will you take to embrace the unknown? So awaken, discovering yourself the light of your innocence is there to support the reader, to share my journey, to let you know you're not alone, to let you know that if you've been through challenges and difficulties and times in your life where you felt like you just couldn't go on, I've been there with you. And this book is there for you to encourage you to keep getting back up and moving forward into the adventure. So I hope you have a chance to read it. It's titled Awaken, Discovering Yourself Through the Light of Your Innocence, and it's available on Amazon. And it's a number one international bestseller. So I hope you get a chance to get on that journey with me. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at walkerbrandt.com or on my social media, Facebook, Instagram. Thanks so much. And I hope we get a chance to connect. We now return to Trek Untold. All right, so Susan, let's beam into our Trek talk today. And you played Carmen Davila in the fifth season TNG episode, Silicon Avatar. So can you tell us if you remember, how did you get cast to be in Star Trek The Next Generation? I believe I just went to the audition. And um, then when they found out, I don't know if they, I think they put in the chicken curry line when they found out that I was part Indian half or quarter Indian, whatever, how many percentage Indian I am, maybe 20% or something. And it was so nice because there's this little kind of romantic, flirty thing going on. And then I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, I was going to get to that because really, spoiler alert, folks, uh, Susan doesn't last more than the oh, opening sorry. gamut. <laughs> That's a 20, it's 20 years old now. I think we're okay spoiling it. Yeah, but, you know, um, he was a delight to work with, too. Now, I can't remember the name of the actor. You must know the actor's name. Jonathan Frakes. Jonathan Frakes. That's right. He was, he was just terrific, and it was one of those things where it's like, oh, this is kind of fun, and then you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at the very least, you got to spend your scene with him and just hitting on Jonathan Frakes the entire time, which I imagine must have been fairly easy to do. Oh, yeah, that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a handsome, charming guy, so that was very easy. Now, was that filmed outdoors, or was that filmed on a soundstage somewhere on set? It was filmed outdoors. Okay, do you remember where that was? Uh, it seemed like it was on seems like it was on the lot but i can't i uh i can't remember you know you do so many locations in your career it's kind of hard to remember so besides jonathan you also share that opening scene with gates mcfadden and brent spiner uh, did you get to interact with them at all much offset or off camera um i did i actually i think my friend roy brocksmith was also for some reason it seems like he was on 
one of those Star Trek. I, I, I just remember being in the commissary and he introduced me. I think he introduced me to Brent Spiner and Brent Spiner and I went on a date in real life. Oh, wow. I got to hear about that if you don't mind dishing. <laughs> Um, yeah, he, you know, what a, I mean, such a talented man in so many ways. And then also so, so, so bright. And we went on a date to this fantastic uh, restaurant. I think it was in Venice or, um, Santa Monica. I think I was a little starstruck to be honest with you. So I felt, I felt really nervous. You know, he's just a great conversationalist and, um, you know, just such a gentleman and, and very handsome, attractive, witty, bright man. And I just don't think I was, I, I just think I, I felt too self-conscious. I can't remember what happened. I think that he had asked me on another date and then I decided, oh, uh, no, for whatever reason. Um, so, yeah, it didn't, it didn't get go any further, but he was really such a, uh, you know, such a, he's such a bright man. I, I don't know what he's doing now, but he's a really talented person. Yeah, I think he's all right for himself <laughs> since then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hope he doesn't mind me spilling the beans that we had, we had a date, but we did. That's right. It's just between you and me and all the listeners. Not a big deal. <laughs> oh, no. Well, and I did want to see his eyes without them being yellow. And my, my goodness, he has beautiful, beautiful eyes. Really, really beautiful <laughs> eyes. <laughs> And since we mentioned Roy Brocksmith a few times already, uh, yeah, I'd love to ask if you have any stories about him, because he was, again, a, a TNG alumni. He was in the episode Peak Performance, and he's been in so many things. Uh, he unfortunately passed away long before this show ever existed that we're doing today, Trek Untold. But uh, yeah, do you have any stories about Roy you could share with us or any uh, anything he ever told you about that stuck with you? Oh, my goodness. So once Roy cast me in Twelfth Night, um, when we, we were living in New York City, he and I just became very, very, very dear friends for the rest of his life. And um, he was a very funny, very extremely bright person, um, just kind of wacky. At one point he was doing um, plays in his house. So and he would have um, people come to the performance and they would walk into the yard and then the play would be taking place throughout his whole house. And he did these, um, you know, wonderful, wacky plays. And at one point, um, we both had a dear friend, Jose Quintero, fantastic director. And Jose was wanting to do um, a play with me. He wanted me to do uh, Joan of Arc. And, and I don't know if we were going to stage it in Roy's house. I think we were going to stage that in a church. So there was this wonderful quality about Roy where it's like, you have a barn? Let's put on a play. Um, and, you know, you know, he did many plays on Broadway, uh, singing Mac the Knife. But the wonderful thing that I loved um, with Roy and his, 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 his wife, Adele, and um, their friends is I'd go and play games with them, card games. When I first moved to LA, I didn't know a soul. And Roy's just like, well, come over to my house. And he's like, we're going to have, we're going to play cards. And we would play cards with Doe Avedon, who had been Richard Avedon's, the photographer's wife. Uh, at one point, she was a model. And, and um, Jack Elam. Do you remember Jack Elam? He was in a lot of Westerns. I mean, there's just these wonderful, wonderful character actors. And we play uh, this game called Follow the Queen. And we would just play it. And, uh, you know, it was, it was so much fun for me because I was young, but all my friends were, you know, older people. <laughs> and uh, to be in that group of um, people playing cards, uh, it was just a fantastic time. And, and so Roy and I were dear friends his entire life. And then, you know, he, he became ill and um, he had to have his 
legs amputated. And at one point, um, you know, he was, he, he just was, but he always had his same sassy sense of humor. And um, we would go and always have lunch at uh, four and 20, this kind of diner place that Roy loved or, or Patsy's in Toluca Lake. Um, and, you know, he, uh, he was, you know, he's just like a, he was like a father to me in, in a lot of ways. And he would always be talking to me about the business and, and he and I had the same agent uh, for a long time in New York with Pat house. And then out here it was Michael Fussinger and, and Billy Miller. Um, and so, you know, I, I probably got the, that agent through him. <laughs> Come to think of it. Um, but we just, we really just loved each other. Um, you know, and, uh, he just, would, he was, so, so funny. Just really, uh, and sarcastic. Oh boy, was he sarcastic. He could just, <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I remember, I remember him, I think he did picket fences and, and he did other jobs when he wasn't doing too, so well. And David, what's the name of the man who created, um, is, it, um, is it David? He, he's married to Michelle Pfeiffer. Is it David Kelly? No. Uh, yeah, David Kelly. That's <laughs> right. Anyways, David Kelly, what I've never met him. I I'd auditioned for some of the shows before, but Roy, he actually, Roy was in, in pretty bad shape and he, and he was going to lose his health insurance. And David Kelly um, made it so Roy could come and come and do a job. I don't know if it was Ali McBeal where he played a judge or something, but it was, the, it, he helped him so that he could keep, get his insurance because he had all these medical issues. And I thought, wow, what, that's really, that's really a wonderful person to, um, do that for an actor and uh so that was really something else that that's the kind of person david kelly is <laughs> yeah and roy brocksmith's life was definitely cut too soon from this earth here uh you know he's got a really great resume he left behind for all of us to enjoy though thank you for sharing that memory about him yeah i miss him i miss him so one last question about star trek next generation here as we mentioned, your character doesn't make it past that opening, so she never gets to share her chicken curry rations with Riker. Uh, and that scene where you get wiped out, it's basically you and this large crowd running from, I'm, I imagine this thing you obviously cannot see because they added it in post later. Uh, but yeah, do you remember your death scene at all? I do. Yeah, I mean, it seems like something, it was like an explosion. I mean, there's some, well, of course there was no explosion there. They probably, they put it all in later on, but um <laughs> Yeah, I do. I do remember it. It, it was. It was. It was a. It was a bittersweet kind of a moment, you know, where there was this potential, this potential of this perhaps great love, and then um, life is cut short. And you know, this is something happening all the time, all over the world, especially now. Um, and so, yeah, you wanting to make every moment last, even as an actor when you're on your death scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was. It was bittersweet. So Carmen didn't make it past the first act, but luckily your next appearance on Star Trek, you would survive for two episodes. So, hey, how about that? <laughs> uh, you returned for season two of Star Trek Voyager and you played Dinara Pell. You appeared first in the episode Life Signs and then again briefly in Resolutions. So did they call you back specifically for this role or was this another open casting call? You know, that's a good question. No, no, I don't think it was an open casting call. I think it was one of those things where they had already worked with me. And uh, of course, this is a different show. So that's the beauty of television. You can come back again because it's not the same. Although I did do two episodes of CSI. I did two episodes of CSI playing two different characters, but there's enough of a time period in between um, where it was okay. But um, I, I, I believe they called me in for that part. I can't remember auditioning, but that happens too sometimes they know you and then you sometimes don't have to audition. 
Um, but I loved that character and I loved working with um, Bob Picardo. I mean, what a terrific person and great acting buddy to work with. Um, it was very, yeah, that was a, that was a really great experience um, playing that character. Yeah, as Denara, you had to wear a lot of makeup for this episode. So in addition to the alien mm-hmm. makeup that you already are, you're also a character who has the phage. So you've got mm-hmm. the alien makeup plus that other gross stuff that's on you too. What do you remember about sitting in the makeup chair? How long did it take to actually get you to turn into the Vidian? seems like it was about four hours. Um, and then they had another actress um, when we were doing the hologram, uh, holograph uh, uh, parts of the show where... Uh, I'm I'm as a doctor in my, you know, my beautiful look, which still had the fudge, of course, in the forehead. But um, they we we had another actress that played um played me with um all the you know grotesque, Vidian mishmash of beings and animals that made up. Um, so there was another actress playing at a time. I uh yeah, I mean I you know the thing about Star Trek that. I've always loved is just the humanity in, in all the series and, and creatures and people of different, you know, different types and, and um, like that character that had to survive by basically taking parts of other um, creatures and like a scavenger in a way to, to stay alive. But then to see that, you know, at, at her best, she had this, very highly evolved soul and high-minded and, and, you know, the, the truth and the beauty of, of her humanity and wanting to um, help people, but then being reduced to have to take body parts and, and slap them on you to survive. It, you know, that's, the, I love that duality in that show, how, you know, they, that it, it, all of the different Star Trek, um, there are these episodes that would just, really make you think, you know, think about how you treat people, think about yourself. I mean, they're very reflective and um, just, uh, it, they would, they just have, could have this profound effect sometimes, um, much deeper than, say, other television shows that, that have been on TV at times. And, you know, um, I feel that it, it would impact you. So even playing a part like that, it impacts you. Um, even when you're having to gaze down on this, this version of yourself that's a mishmash of creatures trying to stay alive. Um, you know, it's just, it's just very thought-provoking to me. And so um, it, the thing about playing any of these parts is that they always kind of stay with you a little bit in your heart. You know, I can, in my mind, I can go back and I can see Bob Picardo's face and his eyes. And um, there's this kind of um, very sweet attraction as the characters. And then, you know, as human beings, you're actors. And there's a, there is an attraction, there's a, or it's a connection or something that's there. And, you know, you remember that. It's not just the acting. There's something with connecting with this other human being, um, playing these roles. And um, it just it, it it stays with you, you know. I think back to Uta Hagen, and it's just like I just remember her like with her arm around me and putting our heads together, and you know, she just it was it just stays with you. 
even if you're only, you know, in a show for a very brief time, um, actors are so emotional and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really enjoyable, uh, job. <laughs> this kind of goes back to what I mentioned before about your appearance in Seinfeld and how, when I've seen you on different things, you always tend to just feel like you naturally fit into them. You just have this instant rapport with folks. Uh, which I find very, very amazing that you could pull it off. Um, and, and you just, you know, it just feels very realistic, very natural. Did you find you had that kind of instant rapport with Robert Ricardo as well? Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. He, you know, he's a very, very bright man and a gentle soul. And, um, you know, he, he was very giving as an actor. And so, yeah, absolutely. I felt that way. And I remember at one point we he, he asked me if I could find some photos and he came over to my house when I was living in Studio City and and you know and it was just like it was like you know it's so funny it's like seeing this old old friend and I feel this you know like this really uh, from my heart I just feel connected to him and you know the truth is we just were acting with each other but it's to see him again after that time it was just so heartwarming yeah so it's it's a strange phenomena when you connect with actors and I and I to me um I always put I always feel what I'm feeling as the characters. I make it so that it does feel real. And I, I'm thinking in the shoes of the character, what, what they're wanting, what they're needing, what they're hoping for, what they've lost, you know, just like a, all of us as flawed human beings. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that saying that about that. I like, kind of I kind of morph into whatever the world is and try to make me part of that world with um, just using myself. And if you don't mind another compliment, uh, I'd like to say that especially in this episode, I feel like you really did put a lot of your soul into this one. Uh, and in particular, you know, there's there's two scenes I want to discuss, uh, one of which we'll get back to later on, which is your first date with a doctor. But the one that I really want to talk about is the moment when Dinara Pohl wakes up now as a hologram and she learns what the doctor has done to her. And uh, you, know, you start to cry in that scene also. Uh, it's a very heartfelt, emotional scene. And I really felt it. Um, do you remember doing that scene? I do. And I, you know, um, like I said, I, you know, I put myself in the shoes of the character. So I'm thinking in, in terms of how they feel like, you know, like when I said that thing about the Seinfeld where you have a big nose and someone um, maybe doesn't speak to you because you don't look the same. I've always, I always had skin problems um, growing up, like big pimples. And I remember my first job on a TV series in New York called Hot House. I had, I was, they had to put a lot of makeup on me to cover up my acne. <laughs> And I remember there was a grip for somebody on the crew was like, oh, my God, look how thick her makeup is. And it was just like, you know, you're hoping you're not going to get found out that people aren't going to notice or something. And so there's a lot about that feeling of not being attractive or, um, you know, having felt that way at times. Playing that character of Denara Pell and, you know, feeling maybe ugly or like, you know, nobody's going to look at you or, you know, no one, you know, you're just this kind of mishmash of, of creatures and you're not, it's like you're a monster, basically, your eyes practically falling out and then there's metal and robotic stuff in you. But um, so I just put myself, I just thought of my own life and when people made fun of me um, because I, you know, had pimples on my face or um, whatever it, it was. Um, I just would think like that, how that felt to not be, to feel like you're really not attractive and that 
that people are going to make fun of you or, or laugh at you behind your back or, um, and so that went, it was a similar thing with the Seinfeld thing. All of a sudden I would, it made me feel like that time when I had lots of acne on my face. And so to wake up, so I just put myself in that mindset of feeling, you know, really unattractive and let people make fun of me. And then to see like, you know, flawless skin and, and there's no, it was very easy to step into going from feeling you know, like a monster and then feeling, oh, wow, this is, you know, to just feeling whole again, like feeling accepted and feeling, you know, attractive. Um, and it, it was just like, so it was very easy to go from one to the other. And then, so it was not, it was an, that was an honest response. All I had to do was think about made, being made fun of for my look. And then, you know, I actually looked okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we've spoken to a lot of character actors in the show who have put on the heavy makeup and put on the heavy prosthetics. And they say that the minute it kind of all comes together is that first time they see themselves in the mirror. Yeah. And in the case of you playing this Vidian, you're seeing yourself two ways, as we just talked about. You're seeing yourself as the flawless alien and then the the version with the grotesque sickness, with, with more of the, uh, I guess, gory viscera on it. Uh, so for yourself, maybe you can walk us through to explain what it's like for a performer to go through the mental transformation of once you're seeing the physical version of your character, what you do as a performer to bring it together. Well, you know, when you're in that makeup chair for that long time, sometimes you're running lines with your co-stars um, or you kind of close your eyes. And that's, that's when it's really re revealing when you have your eyes closed and you might even fall asleep a little because it's a long time. And then they, you know, like, okay, you're done. And you wake up. Like, let's say when I was the, you know, the monster looking and then you look in the mirror. Wow. It's just like, you really feel like that's you. You, cause you're there. Those are your eyes looking back at you. Yet there's this, all this distortion and, um, you, you kind of feel like what it feels like to be a person who's deformed or grotesque and, and just, it's like, you're looking at yourself. So it feels real. It feels completely real to me. And so then it's, you know, then it's very easy. Then you, and you carry yourself in a different way because if you happen to glance in a mirror, you know, you just think you're walking on set, but then you see yourself in the mirror, you see your reflection back. It's like, you know, it's kind of like a shock, but then you just take all that you take that, that feeling of feeling like a monster and then you just internalize it and, and it just becomes part of you and it becomes part of the character so that whether the character is beautiful or hideous, the hideous part is always still there. Now, since Dinara is a hologram for most of this episode, her real body is sitting there in sick bay. And I'm kind of curious here, uh, was this some post-production magic or did they actually make a, a silicone version of yourself just to have on that slab for that episode so that you could actually stare at yourself? No, that's where they had another actress. Okay, it was a stand-in, okay. It was a stand-in, and so they, they, you know, made her makeup exactly like how mine was, and she and she was actually there. So there was never anything anything fake. It was a real person. Is it weird staring at yourself looking dead? Yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is, and, I've, and I have died in different shows and things, and that's always a strange, it's strange. Um, 
but it does, you know, it's all, you know, it's like so philosophical. It makes you think about these things. It makes you think about your life and what are you doing? And, you know, um, that's one of the beautiful things about storytelling. It, it, it can really affect you and, and, and affect change within your own self based on just playing one character sometimes. Now, both this episode and your Next Generation appearance was directed by Cliff Bull. He was a veteran of Star Trek. Did you like his style of directing and working with him? I did. I thought he, I thought he did a terrific job. I mean, it, it just seemed very natural. And um, he didn't have a heavy hand in directing. Um, and it, it, was, it was, to me, it was very relaxed. So I think the most memorable scene in this entire episode, um, and there's there's plenty of them in there, uh, but the one with you and Robert Picardo inside a 1957 Chevy <laughs> on Mars, where the doctor tries to show how he feels to Dinara, and you guys share your first kiss. Uh, it's a very sweet scene. Uh, what do you remember about filming that? Um, I just, it was very, it felt really emotional. It felt like, um, I think both of us are kind of shy people at times, Uh and um, I think that we had a, a, a feeling of connection with each other. It felt, you know, you just have to think about being on a first date. But also when you're working with actors, it's kind of like being on a first date, you know. And so it just it, it had that kind of feeling. And of course, you know, anytime you have to kiss someone or be close to another person, um, if you're sensitive, which I'm sensitive, uh, he's sensitive, um, you know, you you're it's uh it's like being on a real first date and um so all those kinds of feelings come up if you're an actor i mean i i'm the kind of actor that i do feel a lot when i'm acting i am i'm not just you know saying the words i use myself so i'm like using myself my own life my own feelings um and so it 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 really did feel like a first date <laughs> and it was it was kind of romantic and I think anytime I have to do a romantic scene with someone, which of course, now that I'm older, that doesn't really happen too often, but you know, you always, it's so easy to find something appealing and attractive about the other person. Um, but you know, Bob, he's an attractive man and he's very sweet and he's also very smart and uh, funny. And so um, it was really a pleasure to work with him and, um, you know, a little piece of your heart gets like opened up because you're working with this person. <laughs> Are you the kind of actress that takes the role home with her after she's done performing? That's a good question. I mean, I think it depends on the role. Um, but yes, yeah, sometimes, especially if you're shooting for many days, you know, you, you want to try to shake it off. But sometimes, um, you know, if it's a, like if it's a drama and it's very serious and there's like a, you know, something terrible happening, um, you, it's hard to just shake it off. Because especially if you're having to go back the next day, like I've done a couple soap operas and sometimes, you know, you're at set and then, then, then you've got to memorize 22 pages of dialogue by the next morning. Even when you're actually doing any kind of a show, sometimes, you know, you, you, the next day you have a whole, you know, you've worked on, you've learned the lines before, but then you've got to go home after shooting and look over your lines for the next day and, um, you know, figure out the beats and all, you know, the way that the whole scene is going to unfold. So. It, it's hard. I, yeah, I know. I, I've heard about Daniel Day-Lewis and I think when he was shooting Lincoln, he stayed in the hotel and, and didn't want any electricity on and he stayed in character the, full, the whole time. I, I think that might be kind of exhausting to do, but I do understand. <laughs> I do understand how in certain cases it could be helpful, but um, I don't I don't tend to carry it, you know, for too long. 
Did any of Dinara stick with you after the day was done? Yeah, on set? and even just talking about it, I can feel the I can feel that energy of the character. I mean, it's of course it's me, but I can feel there was a deep sensitivity and and feeling of of ugliness uh, that I tapped into as the character. And so even just speaking about it, it's kind of like I get this washed over feeling of what that was like. And you know, it's just it's it's not a bad thing because it does it does help you to be um humble and also to really feel a part of all humanity um and especially i think during these times that we're going through right now anytime that we can find and feel more humanity and feel like we're a part of every person i think that that can only be um a good thing to try to build bridges you know so um yeah Every time you've mentioned any character, it's almost like I'm like, I go back into that. It's like a split personality. <laughs> it stays with you. It stays with me anyway. Uh, all the characters stay with me. Do you happen to remember if there were any outtakes or any bloopers that happened on set? I don't remember any, no. I don't. I think because everything was, you know, it was very kind of, the way our characters were and the way we were doing things was very kind of, simple and serious and um so i don't remember that if anything like that happened no so besides this episode here dinara pell also returned a few episodes later in that season in resolutions as we mentioned uh, <laughs> that's the episode where captain janeway and chakotay contract incurable diseases and they're forced to live together on a planet or they have to live alone until a cure can be found and you're contacted by the doctor to see if maybe you can help something out to see if maybe you can help the situation. So these scenes that you did, they were basically shot solo by yourself as the character. Uh, so number one, I'm curious, did you get called back for this role or were those scenes filmed basically the same day you did the other episode? You know, that's a good question. How, how far apart were the episodes? Were they one right after the other? No, nah, they weren't one right after another, but they weren't terribly far apart either. I can't remember if um, they did it at the same time. I don't know if they were, I, I, I don't know if, if they were they that hour organized that they would shoot several episodes at the same time. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Do you remember doing that scene at all? Because you know, we, we've talked to folks in the past who have done those scenes where they're basically just all by themselves. And sometimes the director of the episode isn't even there doing it. It's just like an AD or somebody else. Uh, do you remember basically what that day was like at all? Um, I mean, I, I, I just, you know, it is it is kind of hard when you're acting by yourself, um, but it's just very internal. So I just was in the I was in the mindset of the character, um, help help humanity, help other people, and so that's basically what was on my mind the whole time. Is how can I help? So I think that 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 that's what I was thinking of at the time. So in terms of what was happening on set, I don't remember. I just remember my focus was on what the character was needing and wanting to accomplish in that scene. Was there ever any discussion for Dinara Pell to return to Voyager another time? Um, I mean, I, I'm wondering if Bob and I had talked about that. I, I remember feeling that way, like, oh, they said, I want to be back. I want to go back to the show. <laughs> but um, I think they have their episodes and everything planned out pretty far in advance. And so it just wasn't in the cards for me. Um, but uh, I, I did have that hope because I loved playing that character. So this episode marks the end of your time in the Star Trek franchise, but did you ever audition for any of the roles in Star Trek? Um, I did audition for a role in Deep Space Nine, but I obviously did not get the part. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it, was a, it was a very tall, beautiful 
blonde woman. What is her name? Anyways, she she was much better for that role than I was. <laughs> is there a character, a person named Jerry or something? Or huh? I'm gonna have to look, to look that look one at, up. She was she was one of the lead characters. Uh huh. Okay, lead character. Oh, there was Terry Farrell. Terry? No, it wasn't Terry Farrell. It wasn't Jedzia Dax? You were, um, do you remember the character's name that you were going for? No, but I do remember auditioning for a role that where there was like a lesbian love affair. That the episode is rejoined that you're no, talking I about. Mean, I, now, now it's kind of a blur. Like, did I audition for that part, or did I watch that part? Did I watch? You know, <laughs> now it's like <laughs> I don't know, but I do know there was a role on Deep Space Nine, and um, the woman. It was a. It was a. I think it was a series regular character. Um, she was very tall, very confident. I think that the thing for me is sometimes I would get nervous at auditions, especially for like a series regular. Hmm. Um, and I would, I would, I would get nervous. And, and maybe lose my confidence. And then, of course, if you're supposed to be playing like a captain or a very strong woman and you don't, you know, you're not that confident in the audition, it probably doesn't make them very confident in you to do the <laughs> role. So after Star Trek, you, of course, continue to have quite a long career and you still do to this day. Of course, you're still working in Hollywood. But uh, I lo- wanted to ask you about one other show, and that's Diagnosis Murder. We talk about that show a lot here, too. And I, I like hearing stories about Dick Van Dyke. And you were in a two-parter, oh. in fact, on Diagnosis Murder. So I would hope that that means you've got double the Dick Van Dyke stories to tell us today. Not only did I work with Dick Van Dyke, but it was also with, An- was that the one with Andy Griffith? Or was Andy Griffith and the one I did with Hal Holbrook? That was uh, a Perry, maybe that was Perry Mason. I'm yeah, so you're also in a Perry Mason TV movie, which uh, again, we talk about that all the time too, working with Raymond Burr must have been a great treat too. Uh, but yeah, I'm checking out right now this episode, see who was in it that was different. Andy Griffith might've been in the... Um, the one I did with Hal Holbrook, which I mean, Hal Holbrook, Andy Griffith, it was just, anytime that happens, you're just, you know, you're just kind of like, you're pinching yourself. You're like, I can't believe it. And they were, they, they, they were all fantastic. But um, Dick Van Dyke is just this love bug of a person. I mean, he is just a deer. He's so funny and fun delightful um you know friendly kind to everybody every single person on set and he talks to people i mean you know i don't know if you just saw the recent um mary poppins where he got on the desk and did a tap dance he that's the that's to me that's the essence of who he is he is enthusiastic and alive and curious and he connects to people and he just has this just beautiful energy and beautiful heart. Um, and, you know, it's just like you're with one of the great, just like even standing near him, you just can feel it. He's just, he's got this star presence. And I mean, I loved the Dick Van Dyke show as a kid. I just loved that show with the Pratt Falls. And you think about, you know, Carl Reiner and all the people on that show, um, Mary Tyler Moore. Um, but, you know, he's, He's just, he seems like he's a really happy person. I mean, genuinely, he genuinely is like, you know what? I'm so happy to be alive. I'm happy to be working. Um, he's just, you know, he's, he's just got this effervescence about him that's just contagious. You just, you know, it just, it kind of flows onto everybody and you just feel happy and to be around him. Just terrific person. All right. So Susan, what was the best time you ever had in a set? And what was the worst experience you ever had in a set? <gasps> oh my goodness. I, well, I did, I did an episode of CSI and Bill Peterson and, um, oh my goodness, what is that lovely woman that was his co-star? Well, anyway, you know, my character was a, 
uh, ended up being a, a killer. But, um, you know, she was a distraught wife whose husband was leading a double life. And so we, you know, we're shooting and shooting, shooting. We get to the final day of shooting and we're shooting my close up where I'm, you know, I break down and they go, well, it's a wrap for Bill Peterson. And oh my goodness, why can't I remember her name? I feel terrible. Lovely redheaded woman. See, I don't, I'm not too familiar with the show. There's Marg Hel- uh, Helgenberger. Is that Marge Helgenberger? Yeah, Does that sound right? That's it. it was Marg, Marg Helgenberger. So they're the stars of the show, right? And, um, and they're, they're wrapped. And they say, okay, Susan, now we're going to do your close-up. And Bill Peterson turns around. And he goes, what? He's like, we can't have her do her close-up without us being here. And they said, well, Bill, you know, you got to be back on set in the morning and blah, blah, blah. And there's got to be the t- turnaround time. He's like, just, just, you know, here, I'll sign that I'm out now. And he sat there with Mark, the two of them. They both said, oh, no, we're not leaving. And they they sat there and didn't, you know, they did their part off camera for me so that I could have the best, um, the best reactions and everything. And, you know, they were just uh, above and beyond. They went above and beyond. And, and I think that that I did, I think the performance turned out really well because they were there and because they were there. Um, looking at their eyes as opposed to me just like looking off into nothing. <laughs> um, and so that was, that was a really incredible experience to me to have them do that. Um, I, I, I'll say the worst experience, but I'm not going to say who it was or what it was on because I don't want to, um, <laughs> I don't want to name names, but I did a, I did a show and it was only a one day part. And um, I was in the dressing room with the, the woman I was going to be acting with. And I said, oh, do you want to run lines? And she said, no. And I said, oh, okay, that's fine. Um, which is kind of unusual, but I thought, okay. So then I got to set. And as I got to set, the director came over to me and said, um, Susan, we did, I just, I want you to know that, um, you know, your co-star in this scene, who's one of the stars of the show, um, she's rewritten your dialogue. And so here it is. And um, we're going to start with your close-up first. And I was like, oh, oh no. Okay. Well, that's okay. So then I quickly memorized this scene and it, I didn't understand why she had rewritten it because it wasn't that much different, but it was enough different that it was difficult to memorize. But I thought, that's okay. I'm a trooper. I'll just go for it. So, um, so in the scene, um, she's supposed to be really crying and upset and everything. And I'm kind of consoling her and I tell her a story about my life to, to kind of say like, hey, I'm like you and I went through this thing. And when I'm reading with her, she um, she won't look at me at all. And she just looks down at her page and she's basically talking in a monotone, like giving me nothing as an actor. Huh. And uh, I didn't, I you know, she's supposed to be crying and everything. So I just, I just pretended in my mind like she was crying, but I thought, oh, this is weird. I don't know what to do, but I got to just forge ahead. I'll just do the best I can. So then, and then we come around onto her close up. And she's crying and emoting and giving and all. And I was just like, oh, wow. I hope my, I'm thinking in my head, I hope that my, my part matches and everything. And then at that point, she just, then they say, then she just kept saying to roll the camera. She kept, she took over the director's job. <laughs> she's like, keep going, let's do another take. So I had like one take on my side. And then she's doing take after take after take and, and crying and crying and all this stuff. And I'm just like, wow. And then she, then they say cut. And she's like, oh, no, she said cut. She's like, cut. Okay, <laughs> we got it. And I thought, I was like, what the heck is this? And then she says to me, I'm so sorry. I couldn't get that emotion up for your close-up, but they'll be able to splice it all together. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's, that's okay. That's okay. So that was, 
that was probably, I've never experienced that before where another actor was so um, not giving at all, <laughs> trying to almost sabotage the experience. And the, and the funny thing is the entire thing got cut. My whole part got cut out of that episode and they never showed it. And I, <laughs> I, to this day, I would think, well, I wonder if it was because of that, because nothing could match up. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was bad. That was bad actor behavior. Sometimes you witness uh, very rarely. I mean, most of the time, people are so gracious and so wonderful. But every now and then, a, an ego has gotten out of control. Maybe because you know they've been starring um, in an ensemble for quite a few years, and uh, that was. I never thought. Uh, and anytime I see that person, I, I mean, I watch them, and I never. I've always thought. Yeah, but they weren't very nice one day, so I don't know how. But maybe she was just having a bad day. That's what I said. Maybe she was just having a bad day, and you know, and that does happen at times. So, uh, but that was probably the worst that I've ever experienced. That sounds pretty awful. Yeah. <laughs> so, what has Susan been up to these past, let's say, ten years? I know you've continued to do acting, and I know you've also gotten into a little bit of uh, work behind the lens as a producer. Uh, so, what can you tell our fans about what you're doing these days? So I, uh, I'm in a theater company, and I, I direct, a, I direct, and um, and and I've been acting, and then I've been writing, and um, I've done some independent films. Um, I've done some television shows, um, and I'm working on projects like you know writing and um, developing pro- projects with with uh, other actors that are in my theater company. Um, and then I also do, I, I do alternative healing, um, which is also a passion of mine, kind of like, you know, my, my own version of Dinara Rappel, <laughs> <laughs> where um, I work with, um, you know, I studied a lot of different healing modalities. And that's, that's really a joy to be able to help people to feel better. And I work with a, a aromatherapy using essential oils. And so um, I guess, it, I guess I have a lot of ideas for shows and things that I'd like to create. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm invested in meaningful storytelling and trying to help, I guess, heal the world and, and people to heal their hearts. And, you know, I'm very, um, I'm wondering about ways to help with all the anger and rage that we have now in the world or what can we do to, to help dissipate that through storytelling, I guess, through healing tools. So, you know, I'm coming, trying to come up with different different projects to give tools to people to help them deal with um, their emotions because I feel like there's a lot of emotional um, a lot of emotional people right now feeling um, angry and sad and hurt and and um, there's a lot of divisiveness and so I feel like I'd like to work on projects that can bring people together somehow and so that's what we're doing with our theater company it's called the road theater company in North Hollywood, um, but we're trying to, we only do new plays and we're really trying to be inclusive and, and have stories that are from many perspectives and all different kinds of people, different ethnicities, different religions, um, you know, uh, so that that's what I'm passionate about, trying to tell the story. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a great segue into my penultimate question here today. And uh, that's what's the most valuable lesson that you've learned in acting or in life that you still use today and that still holds true for you today? I would say to walk in another person's shoes 
like we have to do as actors, you know, we have to step into someone else's shoes and, um, and to try to find the humanity in the person, even if they're really like, if they're a killer or they've done something terrible, um, to try to figure out why, why they have that hatred within them. What happened to them? Was it, um, because of how they were raised in their family or were they, uh, you know, abused? So I think that it's always to try to find the humanity in whatever kind of character you play. And then also in real life, it's to try to understand um, how did that person become this way? Why do they have so much hate or um, divisiveness or, you know, um, and then try to not be that way (laughs) myself. Um, But I'm, you know, I'm really trying to, uh, hoping that the world can start addressing and our world can start addressing this anger that so many people have and, uh, you know, how can we help them? So I guess that's always on my mind. How can we, how can we help people to feel better and to um, have a better life? That's definitely a good uh, lesson there for both acting and for real life. So that's a good one. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that one. Oh, you're welcome. So last thing today, Susan, what is the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe? I think when you're a fan of a show and then you get to be on that show, it's just like there's something so exciting about that. that, And it's it's like you're part of this family, even though, you know, there are many, many people I've never met um, that I've watched on shows. But I you just feel like you're in this really cool, special family. and that just never goes away. It's just, you know, and when people find out that you've been on Star Trek, they're like, oh, which episode? Wait a second. Were you dishonorable? And, you know, they have this excitement and then it makes you feel excited and really proud that you were part of it. Um, so, yeah, I just, you know, I have a sense of pride about it. I, I feel like it's always been a very forward thinking show. Um, and uh, I love that it has strong women. And and women and people of all different ethnicities and religions and monsters and you know um, yeah it's just it's just really an honor to be a part of it. So Susan, thank you so much for your time today. You've had a lot of great stories that you've been kind enough to share with us. It's unfortunate that Doctor Denara Pell never came back in Voyager, but I'm glad that you at least had such a good time and you made such a memorable character uh, because you know no hyperbole. I think that's one of my favorite Voyager episodes out there, and that's definitely thanks to you and Robert Picardo's performance together. So thank you so much for being a part of the Star Trek world and uh, for sharing that with us today. Oh, thank you so much. It was really it was really a joy to be speaking to you today. That was our chat with Susan Deal, who was so fun to speak with. I'm glad she was able to come on today and share so many of her great stories, many of which I don't think have been talked about much before in previous interviews. But after all, that is the point of this show, to find the untold tales of Star Trek and beyond. In this interview, Susan mentioned Roy Brocksmith several times, and I wanted to use this time after the show just to briefly speak about him. You may remember him from the TNG episode Peak Performance, and also the DS9 episode Indiscretion, but he was also the doctor from Total Recall who tried to tell Arnold Schwarzenegger that none of this was real. He worked with Brent Spiner in the obscure comedy film Rent Control, and his resume stretches on to include roles in Babylon 5, Scrooged, Arachnophobia, The War of the Roses, Picket Fences, The Golden Girls, Seinfeld, Ally McBeal, and dozens upon dozens of other roles on television and film. If you saw his face, you'd instantly recognize him, so I recommend you Google him right now to see exactly what I'm talking about. 
Sadly, Roy did pass away some time ago, and he certainly would have been an amazing guest to have on this podcast. But really, guys like Roy are another reason I do this show. As I just said, the main point is to find the untold tales of Trek and Beyond, but really, it's also to preserve the history of these contributors to entertainment, with the hope that one day their work and memories will continue to live on, even after they've moved on from this world. This podcast is meant to be a time capsule for future fans of Star Trek to listen to, to learn a little bit more about these character actors, these writers, these editors, these stunt people, and all these people who have contributed to their franchises in different ways, to understand what they did, how they contributed, and why their body of work is just as important as the people whose names are in the opening credits of the shows. So to Roy Brocksmith, thank you for your contributions to not just Star Trek, but to television and film as a whole. And thank you to Susan for also being the one keeping his memory alive. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Trek Untold. If you aren't already, please make sure you're following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Trek Untold. And if you'd like to watch the video version of this podcast when available, make sure to check out youtube.com slash nerdnews today. And don't forget you can also check out teespring.com slash stores slash trekuntold to check out all the Trek Untold merchandise we have, or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash trekuntold. Any contribution you can make helps keep this ship running at optimum power. But even just listening to the show and telling your friends about it does a pretty big thing for us too. So please leave a rating and review if you're listening to this in the audio form, or give the video on YouTube a thumbs up and sub to the channel. There's no wrong way to help Trek Untold out, so whether you're just dropping a review, giving us ratings, or if you're able to offer us any support monetarily, we thank you so much for doing that, and we also thank you for again choosing to listen to Trek Untold. Once again, thank you to our sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions. And shout out to Scott Ray for helping provide this week's guest. If you'd like to book this person to appear at an upcoming convention or autograph signing event, email scottray67 at aol.com. If you'd like to send us some feedback, suggest a guest, or ask to be booked as a guest on this show, or provide a sponsorship opportunity at Trek Untold, please email me at trekuntold at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you and hear your thoughts on what you thought about this week's episode and our guest. I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, this has been Trek Untold, and until next time, fortune favors the bold.